This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu for more information. Approximately 19% of the world's electricity bill comes from lighting, according to Rudy Provost, CEO of Philips Lighting. As such, Philips, the world's largest producer of industrial and consumer lighting products, has a big role to play in the ongoing transformation from incandescent to solid-state lighting using LED technology. Provost, who until last year was CEO of Philips Consumer Electronics, is no stranger to new technologies, which he says are just a vehicle to respond to needs. Figuring out what those needs are, weeding out needless complexity, and innovating with an eye on the bottom line are the keys to growth, Provost says. He recently spoke with Wharton marketing professor George Day, academic director of the Wharton Executive Education Program, Full Spectrum Innovation, Driving Organic Growth, about the challenges of staying ahead in a rapidly changing industry. We're very privileged to have you here, Rudy. And uh, I think it would be a, a nice way to begin by having you tell us a little bit about why you're here at Wharton and what, what you're up to. And uh, then we'll want to lead into uh, hear about the uh, transformation you're undergoing, both in a new job and in an industry undergoing a transformation. Okay. Well, but why I'm here, I mean, I am uh, I became uh, recently the CEO of uh, Philips Lighting uh, after having been three years the CEO of Consumer Electronics. I call it the University of Life, uh, and I have to start a new life. So I thought it's the right way to start a new life by going through a full immersion and refresh everything I ever had have been exposed to when it comes to you know strategies and particularly how to make growth uh, happen and drive innovation. So it's a it's a full spectrum innovation week and uh, that fits in my full immersion program. Excellent, Philips, as we all know, is is the worldwide leader in lighting and uh, have been for many many years. You're coming into this business at a pivotal time with a very interesting background. And, and, and the pivotal time, of course, is the steady and perhaps accelerating transition into solid-state lighting. So could you tell us about uh, what the consequences are for Philips Lighting of this big transformation? And uh, at the same time, maybe talk a little bit about how you're going to manage the decline of the traditional business while this right. is going on. Many questions at the same time. But... Uh Look, I mean, indeed, it's, uh, I mean, lighting is at the crossroads, and I say that both from a market perspective and from a uh, company perspective. I mean, indeed, there's some very important trends, uh, you know, real uh, trends that change the dynamics of the, of the business and even the business models that go with it. Uh, there's the whole shift from incandescent lighting to new forms of lighting, solid-state lighting in particular. Uh, there is the whole uh, energy efficiency uh, green wave that really uh, forces uh, society to change and, and lighting can contribute significantly. I mean, 19% of the electricity bill in the world is lighting. Uh, so uh, we have a contribution to make. And uh, obviously, uh, there are many, many companies with new disruptive technologies coming in. Uh, who maybe will become uh, you know part of the of the lighting game, which until now was very much an oligopolistic game where the giants like Matsushita and G and Osram and Philips were uh, fighting uh, the war. So uh, the whole the whole landscape is changing. Uh, now, change means opportunity, 
So uh, in that sense, we've been uh, actually anticipating what's happening. Uh, in the past two years, we did uh, actually a four billion acquisition program. We acquired five companies, Color Kinetics, uh, Genlight, many of them US-based. I mean, that kind of allows us to uh, significantly step up. So I think we have all the ingredients. We have the building blocks. And now the, the fact of the matter is that we need to put the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together and, and just take all those ingredients and bring them together in a winning formula. And uh, that's that's what I'm supposed to do. So uh, it's a very exciting uh, moment. Uh, and uh, I look forward to it. I mean, this is like writing history. Yeah. Daunting prospect, but you've had uh, some really exceptional experience that I think equips you for this, particularly uh, maybe you could reflect on your experience in consumer electronics, how that might help you uh, guide your way through or navigate this uh, transformation. There must be a reason why they asked me to do this job. <laughs> yeah, uh, <right>. so, <laughs> so, yes, I've been, I've been working in different uh, businesses, uh, P&G, Canon, Whirlpool, Philips, uh, the last seven years in consumer electronics, which is... I always call it the life-altering experience. It's like, uh, you know, that's the place where all, all forces uh, come together. And, uh, you know, consumer electronics, I mean, the whole ICT sector has gone through a dramatic transformation. Also there, the shift from analog to digital. The, in the TV business, the shift from CRT to LCD and plasma. Uh, I mean, kind of the notion that before, when we talk consumer electronics, the emphasis was on, was on electronics, on the hardware. And now it's about a unique combination of hardware, software, services, and content. So uh, you, you think ab about paradigm shifts and, and transformational uh, change. I mean, that's what I've been dealing with in the past seven years. And uh, there's no escape. I will have to deal with it again in lighting. But having gone through that university of life, uh, having been exposed to it, and um, I think we found a success formula to compete in, 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 a, in a very global and dynamic market is hopefully going to help me to uh, be successful going forward. So, uh, yes, I, I hope I can use everything I learned in, in the past years and, you know, apply it again and uh, add to the learning. So, really, I, ha I have this vision of a lighting, um, a, a bulb plant that I was in one time, and it was immense, and it was automated. And they could tell me the costs down to a tenth of a finnig. Yes. And, uh, and they, they managed that thing right uh, for all Will for work. efficiency. Right. Uh, and, and, and I'm sure Philips is fabulous at that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So you've got that kind of mental model, that culture, that system. Uh, how are you going to transform that? Uh, well, you know. And, and disrupt that. And, I guess the issue is. What, what are the assets that right. you bring from that? into the new game. Yeah, I think the issue is not so much, uh, I mean, how good are we in, in the process industry or uh, should we manufacturing everything ourselves? I really believe the issue is about where do we have to be a vertically integrated business and or where should we depend on others, partner with others, whatever that might be, outsourcing part of the process or, uh, you know, um, establishing uh, value-added partnerships with suppliers, uh, open innovation. So um, in, in that sense, again, um, you know, we will not be a successful lighting company by excelling in manufacturing processes. Uh, I mean, it's really about outside and understanding what the market needs, what the future applications are, what the requirements are for lighting solutions and experiences, you know, in various places and uh, spaces. I mean, I mean, what does it mean in the office? What does it mean in a shop? What does it mean in terms of city beautification, street lighting? So... Outside then, uh, understand what, what you know, integral marketing is all about, 
mean, on the technology side, we very much know what is possible. Yeah? On the marketing side, we, we have to be more specific in the question, answering the question what's required and bring the two together. So it's, technologies are just a vehicle to, to respond to you know, needs and come up with uh, absolute brilliant uh, solutions and applications. So in that sense, my focus will much more be outside in, uh, understand what needs to be done, how I can connect the dots also between the capabilities and competencies we have now in, a, in that new lighting company, which is a mix of existing Philips businesses and acquired uh, companies. And then uh, make sure that uh, we are op- obsessed with, uh, uh, you know, end-user-driven innovation and, um, and just take that to its full consequence. Now, again, if you want to be successful and in terms of business model control points, mm-hmm. in some aspects we need to be vertically integrated, we will be. Uh, so it's really more about the business model than about bits and pieces of uh, of, 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 of processes. Uh, you cannot disconnect the two. So it's, it's, it's market-driven innovation at a scale beyond anything you've ever had to uh, manage, or at least Philips Lighting has ever had to manage. Uh, what will be the biggest barriers you think you're going to have to overcome to, uh, to ma- and, 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 and focus it around maintaining your leadership position? Well, I guess it's a bit of a paradox, but the success of the past could be the biggest barrier for the future. Uh, I mean, this lighting company has been extremely powerful and uh, has, uh, has invented the space and came up with particularly winning technologies. But, uh, and, and there were many control points. Uh, right now, we need to... It, it's all about mindset. It's about, uh, at the end of the day, we, me, the, the people, are probably the most important limiting factors. So that's where the challenge is. I mean, it's a bit what I learned here. I mean, that statement of Darwin, it's not about being the strongest, uh, but it's about being the one that is the most responsive and agile in, in, in terms of change. I mean, that's, that's really what it is all about. So making sure we have the culture right and that we kind of use the DNA that of, of success in the past, but blended with new DNA. I mean, as a matter of fact, in the world of solid-state lighting, LEDs, Everybody has access to LEDs. Everybody has access to the basic technologies. I mean, if you have IP, fine, but a lot of the IP can be bought. So it's really about, uh, you know, a more segment, end-user application solution approach to it than a pure technology uh, view on it. And that will require people changing. Uh, It will require different prioritization. It will require different... Uh, ways of spending our money and uh, allocating resources. And I presume also uh, we, we did talk about one of your competitors, GE, who has uh, seen the need to bring in a lot of outsiders, a lot of fresh faces, uh, different mental models. Uh, do you see a substantial number of new entrants, uh, n- new employees rather, or will the uh, acquisitions you've already made bring in enough fresh talent for you? Well, we, we get a lot of fresh talent, of course, through the acquisitions. Uh, there's a very intense exchange of talent between the different uh, sectors within Philips. And it's remarkable how you can blend uh, you know, the, everything together. I mean, we have a li- consumer lifestyle business. We have a lighting business. We have a healthcare business. So there's a lot of internal talent, but absolutely, I mean, the, the, the team of today is not a team of, uh, of the future. Uh, so we will have to strengthen it. Uh, but the answer is not only in, in our own talent uh, pool. It's also about connecting with the world, uh, working with the right partners. Uh, 
I mean, just here during during this week, uh, we had the chance to listen to uh, you know the lighting um, science uh, group uh, CEO. Well, he's actually a partner, uh, and, and and that's typically a case where you work with companies who, for example, can act as to put it in IT terminology, value-added resellers or system integrators. So it's not only about your own uh, talent pool, it's about that extended pool of, of resources. And, and, you know, to win in the future, we need to add brain power and horsepower and then make sure that we have the willpower to stay the course. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got a number of partners out there. Uh, one of the big challenges always in managing open innovation uh, with lots and lots of partners, both providing ideas, helping you commercialize them, is who gets to uh, keep the intellectual property and uh, monetize that? Well, you know, through the acquisitions we made, we made sure we have a very good intellectual <laughs> <laughs> property platform. Definitely uh, one way to do it. <laughs> so we have, we have quite some uh, uh, intellectual property there, but... Look, uh, if if you really want to and have to partner, uh, then you have to make sure it's a win-win. Uh, so I guess in, in the way we structure partnerships, uh, whatever shapes or forms, from joint ventures to alliances, you need to make sure that uh, it's a mutually rewarding uh, partnership. And it's not only about the IP, uh, but IP, of course, is an element. It's It, it can be an, an enabler or it can simply be a control point, or it can be a shared interest. So uh, I think there I would say we should be open to any business model uh, and just pick the one that creates the most value. So we've talked about uh, two of what I think are the four main levers that you're working with. Uh, one is leadership, and you're exercising that, and, and you have a vision. Uh, the second, of course, would be the structure that you put in place, including all the people. Uh, the third, uh, which is the one I want to turn to now, is uh, the motivation part of it, the incentives and the metrics. Uh, do you see the need for new uh, metrics? Well, I mean, and, uh, and, and new kinds of incentives? Yes, but you need all three. I call it the triple A's. One, the leader has to be an advocate. I mean, he has to be an activist almost for, of innovation. Uh, the, the second A is about accountability. I don't like the word structure too much. Uh, for me, it's really about accountability. I mean, it's not about org charts and, and redrawing the reporting lines. It's really about accountability, give, make sure you have owners with a face and a name, and then connect the right people together. So the informal network, so to speak, that is very critical. But of course, I agree with the triple A. The third A for me is... You need amplifiers. Now, one amplifier are the reward, the reward schemes you, you use. And there, it's always about the trade-off between, uh, you know, incentive schemes that uh, stimulate the, I would say, the, the feeling of belonging and uh, the joining forces behavior versus the incentives that reward individual or team uh, accomplishments. Now, we've made a very deliberate choice to actually go for the incentive scheme that stimulates the kind of one lighting, uh, join forces, hold hands uh, approach. Because if you want to win in the future, we need to, particularly in the context of, of Philips Lighting today, make sure that all the business groups, all the units of the acquired companies, as well as the existing uh, teams work together. If you just let lamps do what they think is the best for lamps or lighting electronics do what is the best for lighting electronics or the luminaires group do what is the best for luminaires, we will end up with a suboptimal situation. So for me, the innovation agenda is, a, is actually part of a larger growth agenda. 
and you know I want to make sure that everybody feels part of that same growth objective and signs up for the same bottom line which will make resource allocation reprioritization uh, or sharing of competencies capabilities I guess much easier so that's the way we're going to deal with it which goes hand in hand with a uh, partnering orientation absolutely share to gain mindset absolutely yeah. absolutely um, really this has been wonderful and I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts uh, I have one final question which is uh, really looking at innovation in large organizations at a time of recession so there's much debate now about uh, the fact that uh, for the last five years, we've had a robust economy, uh, notably in North America, Europe, and in Asia, and innovation is at the top of uh, most CEOs' agenda, as it is in yours. Now, uh, looking at your experience and, and thinking about your competitors, companies you know, what do you think is going to happen if we have a recession? Oh, Where, what, will, what will happen to innovation, the, the, the enthusiasm for it, the willingness to support it, uh, and, and make the long-term investments that are necessary? Well, I mean, I, I cannot answer for the world or for, for other companies. Uh, I mean, from a Philips perspective, certainly from a Philips lighting perspective, uh, in times of recession, the last thing you do is, is cut the oxygen, you know. Uh, I mean, in recession times, you need to work harder, run faster, so you need a lot of oxygen. For me, innovation is about oxygen, so we're not going to cut the oxygen. And we're not going to, you know, cut cut the lifeline uh, because no lifeline means no survival. So, it, it, of course, recession probably will force us to make choices. So it's not about doing less. It's about picking the right battles. And I think in times of recession, actually, it's a bit of a paradox. I mean, value becomes more valuable. At the end of the day, consumers have to make choices too. So it's about share of wallet and choices they make. Are they going to buy Philips lighting or something else? Now, if, if the value proposition is attractive enough, and it can only be attractive because there is a real innovation component to it, and that could be an energy-efficient lighting solution, which actually helps in times of recession to keep the, 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 the costs down, then we should be the most attractive uh, uh, offer for that consumer. So um, I, I don't think you the, the answer should be or could be, uh, you know, cut uh, budgets. Uh, but as consumers need to make choices, we have maybe to make choices. And that's, for me, the way we will deal with it. Uh, so I'm, I'm, in that sense, very uh, optimistic. I mean, for me, innovation is a bit like acupuncture, you know. You need to put the needles where the energy points are. And... Uh, that's true in general, but in times of recession, that's probably even more true. So I hope we manage it in the, in the proper way going forward. But I'm, again, optimistic, even in times of possible recession. Some years ago, there was a very interesting study uh, which, which looked at uh, a couple of recessions and uh, looked at changes in industry structure both before and after the recession. And it turned out that's when market share shifted because there were some competitors who were forced or chose to uh, maximize current earnings, cut back on marketing, cut back on innovation, uh, not to mention executive education and all those other things. And they invariably lost a lot of ground. But well, I agree with you. I mean, I already that's when you can pile on and, yeah. and gain, uh, gain share. Yeah, I mean, we referred to Darwin earlier. I yeah. mean, this is, again, yeah. Darwin at work. I mean, it's survival right. of the fittest. I mean, yeah. recession can indeed mm-hmm. trigger, uh, you know, shakeouts. And uh, then it's the, the, the one that uh, prevails is the one that uh, was the most, again, flexible and responsive to change. And 
the one that speaks the most to the hearts and the minds of the consumer. And you come into that battle with a fabulous brand, a tremendous depth of management, a lot of innovation. So uh, this is wonderful. Uh, we're going to be cheering you on from a distance. Uh, okay. Nicole, do you want to add yeah, anything I have, further? I have a couple of questions. Whose job is it to innovate in your company? Well, it's, uh, there are probably two answers on that. One, it's, it's, it's everybody's job because innovation is not only about product innovation or service innovation. In essence, you can innovate everything every day. I mean, every process. So I think the notion of innovation, in my opinion, should be a very inclusive uh, notion so that actually everybody can ask himself every morning, I mean, what can I do differently? And that goes from, you know, taking out unrewarded complexity in the spirit of Philip Sands and simplicity to, uh, you know, just challenge the, the status quo. And I think that's everybody's job. Now, at the end of the day, if you really want to push the envelope, and it's kind of, uh, if you do not want to limit yourself to the small eyes, but you also want to hit the, the big eyes, I mean, you need the big boss to have skin in the game too. So I think there, uh, it's very important that, uh, you know, the, the, the leader is the chief activist, uh, so to speak, and leads by example. You, know, you, you referred to the sort of uh, the disruption that innovation causes. Innovation is inherently a somewhat messy process. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you manage the balance between creativity and organization in managing innovation? I don't think the process should be messy. I think the process should be very structured and disciplined. But what you put in the process and what comes out of it and the cycles of, I would say, diverging and converging solutions and elements of innovation, that could be a very creative process. But the best creative process is the one that, uh, you know, is, is well-structured at the end. And you look to the benchmarks from the IDOs of this world to, you know, some companies that are very well-known for their success. I mean, they all have a very structured, disciplined way of dealing with innovation. But within the boundaries, the bandwidths, uh, they allow a lot of creativity. And I guess that's the way to handle it, to manage it. Right. And how do you measure the returns you earn on your investment in innovation? Well, you know, um, I think what is extremely important that where, whatever point of measurement you take, being it, you know, what you put into the innovation process, like R&D resources, or the process itself, the effectiveness of the innovation, or the output of it, that there is always the notion of uh, profitability. So, in one way or another, if you think about outcomes, things like... R&D as a percentage of sales, I don't believe in. R&D in relation to EBITDA, I believe in. Every innovation project should have a return on investment, an internal rate of return, a net present value. And, you know, you need to hardwire that and keep yourself honest. Because at the end of the day, it's about generating returns. And top line is, is, is interesting, but the bottom line is what, is what matters. And you need that bottom line to continue to generate resources to continue to invest in innovation. Uh, that's, for me, a very important element, uh, the most important element. And, and of course, I mean, there are many lagging indicators, uh, like, you know, new products brought to market in the past two years or three years. That's, for me, a lagging indicator. I'd rather have leading indicators like, what do we have in the pipeline? And, and there, again, um, that should stimulate that, that you know, culture of innovation, uh, not just trying to be satisfied with uh, simple measures that do not mean a lot. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.